you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 11, and we will continue on where we picked off, left off last week, and or two weeks ago, and we'll be looking on prayer and the fig tree. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, and then 20 through 26, we've got one of the traditional, traditional Markian sandwiches, which is uh, Mark using uh, two different phrases, two different stories, and putting another story right in the middle of it, so it's not quite as enjoyable as a normal sandwich, but it's a Markian sandwich, and it's what we get here, and so we're going to take the uh, middle portion next week, but this, this week we're going to look at uh, Jesus's interaction with this fig tree, and then his quick discussion on prayer. So there's a lot here, a lot that we need to unpack together here, and I hope and pray that we follow along, and you've got your outline right here in front of you with uh, several additional scripture passages that I think can be very, very helpful in understanding what these passages would mean for us and how we can leave this place with different insight that would help us as we walk through our daily lives. So let's read Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, and then 20 through 26. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Fast forward to verse 20. And in the morning they passed by the fig tree and they saw that it was withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses also. Many of your Bibles may omit verse 26, as it's an addition that uh, was not found in the earlier manuscripts, but does fit in the scripture. It says, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together as we examine these passages in light of God's word. Lord, we, we recognize that we need your help. We come to these passages and know that they are full of your truth and that we need to live in light of what these verses are calling us to. So Lord, we give them the proper weight in light of our lives. Lord, I pray that we would not just merely gloss over them and uh, hear them in terms of another prayer sermon, that we would deeply cultivate what it looks like to be a prayer warrior, praying deeply for what you are calling us to and towards. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. The first blank on your outline is simply the fruitlessness of the fruit tree. The fruitlessness of the fruit tree. Now, Jesus is going to walk up to this fig tree expecting there to be some budding fruit to be found. Now, we see that the scripture says that it's not season for the figs, but Jesus does see that there are leaves all about this fig tree, signifying that there would be an expectation to find some fruit on this tree. As he walks up to it, Jesus is hungry. You recall the last time we gathered in Mark chapter 11, Jesus has just had the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. People are waving the palm branches. They're saying, save us now, Jesus, Messiah. He's come in, and as he comes into Jerusalem, there's this odd verse in verse 11 that just says he looked around, 
And then he was tired, so he went back home, right? So this is where we pick up the story that he looked around. Obviously, he's seen a lot of stuff, and he looks around, and he just decides to go back home. And so as he goes back home, this is where we're picking up the story that the following day, they come from Bethany, and Jesus was hungry. And so he sees this fig tree with many leaves, probably looking really, really good, ripe for the eating. And so he sees all these leaves, and he would have an expectation from all the leaves that are on this fig tree that he's going to find some fruit. But walking up to it, he finds all it's got is just leaves everywhere. Just a whole bunch of leaves and no fruit. And you can imagine if you're hungry and you walk up to this leafy tree with an expectation to find fruit and you get nothing, what would this do to your soul, right? It's like going up to a fast food restaurant expecting to find food, pulling through the drive-thru and say, we're all out of food, right? There's just like, well, why are you still have the open sign? What, what are you doing here? Why do you even have people going through the drive-thru if you've got no food left? There's an expectation when Jesus walks up to this fruit tree that he's going to find some figs to eat. Right? They may not be seasoned for full buds, but there's a, an expectation with this tree in leaf that there's going to be some fruit to be found. But finding none, Jesus is going to say to this fruit tree, may you never, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, next week, we're going to see the foreshadowing of Israel right in line with Jesus in this fig tree. But for now, we're going to see there's an expectation that there's going to be fruit, get this, from a fruit tree. Right? And I hope we see the oddness of even the phrase, the fruitlessness of the fruit tree, and I hope that it hits us in all the right ways. That Jesus expects there to be fruit from this fruit, fruit tree. And for all of us as believers, if we're abiding in the true vine, there is an expectation that there is going to be fruit from our lives. Right? I don't want to oversimplify this. I don't want to make it too simple or too just obvious for us to miss this. But they, at the end of the day, if we are called to abide in the spirit of God, then there is an expectation that we will produce fruit. As a believer, if we're going to come to church and read our Bibles and do all the things that the Lord has called us to do, there's an expectation that we will produce fruit. And what is the fruit that we're producing? Fruit of the Spirit, right? This is what we, what we would produce, the fruit of the Spirit. Of all the places in Scripture, if I ask you what fruit you will produce, I hope you'd say, well, the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? All right, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? You got that? Remember that from Bible drill back in the day? Right, these are the fruit that we're producing. And when you ask yourself, Lord, am I producing fruit? There's the, no better place, no better litmus test of your soul than to say, am I producing love from my life? Lord, am I producing peace and patience? Is there kindness emanating from my soul? Am I a person that is loving, joy-filled, peace and patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle and self-controlled? Are you producing that fruit? Or would you be one of the people that just looks like on the outside, you've got everything in line and everything as it should be, but we're not producing the fruit of the Spirit. The expectation when Jesus sees this fruit tree is that there would be fruit being produced. The expectation for the believer is that fruit would be being produced from your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
These are great things to teach our children. But friends, as you age, as you grow, these things should only produce more and more and more and not less and less and less the older and older we get. And so Jesus comes and with an expectation of finding fruit, finds none. And so in verse 14, he says, with a curse, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Essentially, this is the only destructive miracle that Jesus ever does. In all other ways, Jesus would heal people. He would cause the blind to see. But here, this is one of Jesus' only destructive miracles. You may say the, the calling of the, the pigs over the side would be destructive, but in the end of the day, he heals a man. But here, this is a destructive miracle that Jesus does to this fig tree. Now, fast forward just a little bit. In verse 20, you see that as he passed by in the morning, they saw that this fig tree was withered to its roots. As Jesus curses this fig tree, this is not, sorry to bring up a sore subject, but this is not like a tumor's corner tree poisoning that over many years this tree would wither and wither away. This was an instantaneous, overnight withering of this tree. The disciples come to it and they remember what Jesus said. They probably assume, well, this tree will never produce fruit. But instantaneously and overnight, this fig tree produced nothing, withered down to its roots. And you can imagine for a moment... Once again, these disciples have this moment of saying, who is this guy? I mean, can you, can you imagine walking beside Jesus? And, and before we get in talking about prayer, I want you just to see for a moment all that Jesus has done to this point. And as we begin to talk about the power and the miraculous nature of people praying, I want us to see once again with freshness who it is that is in charge here. That Jesus has now called a curse upon this fig tree and it is withered to its roots. Jesus' authority even over the fig tree. But before that, Jesus beautifully demonstrated his, his divine nature by telling about the colt being untied. He healed blind Bartimaeus. As I, as I read these for a moment, I want you just to close your eyes and as best you can, not fall asleep, but activate your your divine, activated, sanctified imagination. And a mind, imagine walking with Jesus and seeing all of these things. Just try to do it the best you can. Be there right next to Jesus and imagine you are seeing all these things. Blind Bartimaeus being healed. The blind man from Bethsaida being healed because Jesus spit on his eyes. Imagine being there, seeing Jesus feed 4,000. Then imagine seeing Jesus heal the deaf man, the Syrophoenician's woman's daughter healed from far away. Jesus spoke a healing over. Imagine seeing Jesus walk onto water. Imagine seeing Jesus feed 5,000 people with just a few bread and a few loaves. Imagine Jairus' daughter being healed after her death and the afflicted, bleeding woman being healed. Imagine the healing of Legion and this crazy man being healed and the pigs going off the cliff. Imagine being in the middle of a boat with storms raging all around you and Jesus says a word and the storms are calmed. Imagine the withered hand man and in a moment, his hand being strengthened and the muscles being formed instantaneously. Imagine the paralytic man being healed instantaneously and the leper having his spots taken away and the unclean spirit being healed instantaneously and being in the temple when Jesus taught with authority. It's just the book of Mark. Imagine for a moment you walked beside Jesus and you saw all of that. And in a moment, as Jesus puts a parallel to prayer, I want you for a moment to be reminded of who it is that you are praying to. 
Not a God who has no authority over this world. Not a God who is indifferent or unable or incapable to stop the most difficult of problems or to allow the most difficult of things. That he is a God who is in charge of everything. From the very beginning, Jesus spoke as one who had authority over everything. He calmed the storms. He walked on water. He healed the most difficult of things. This is the Jesus who died on the cross to save you of all of your sins. And so can you imagine when Peter runs back and said, Rabbi, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. The depth of faith that this Peter would have as he walks into this final passion week of Jesus dying on the cross. So take all of that, hold on to it, and let's press forward for just a moment. Peter comes in verse 21, and he remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look at this fig tree that you've cursed, it's withered. And here I would think that Jesus would give him a full deconstruction of everything that he's done here with this fig tree. Hey, Peter, this is why I did it. This is what happened. I want to tell you all about this fig tree. Let, let, hey, disciples, come on in. Let me tell you about this fig tree that's just been cursed. Let's, let's stand by it. Let's have an object lesson. But instead, as they marvel at this fig tree, what is Jesus' response? What, what do you see in the text? It just says, have faith in God. Kind of a strange response to a fig tree being cursed, right? right this, this fig tree you're standing around is cursed, and it is, it is just withered to its core, and the disciples are probably thinking, that's crazy. And in a moment where Jesus could respond and say, here's precisely why I did it, he says what? Have faith in God. And then he teaches them one of the most impactful sermons on prayer. And so I want you to pull in close because there's three big buckets that I want us to look at in prayer here. It's a demonstration that Jesus gives us of, of his authority over everything. His quick exclamation about who he is and who we are praying to. So let's just look for verses 23, 24, and 25. You see right on your outline three words to help us, three truths on prayer. The first is simply this, whoever. Write the word whoever, number one, whoever. You see in verse 23, Jesus says, truly I say to you. And when he says truly I say, he means Amen and amen. He means, listen to this. I mean it. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done to him. It's a big word. It's a big phrase. And before we get there, let's look at what Jesus says in verse 23. He says, truly, I say to you, whoever, whoever. The first truth that we see on prayer is Jesus invites whomever into this type of prayer. Who is Jesus inviting to pray these bold type prayers? Who is Jesus inviting to throw the mountains into the sea? Who is it that Jesus is saying has access to this? Is it only those ordained ministers? Is it only missionaries who are serving on the mission field? Is it only deacons? Is it only elders who have lived a good godly life for many, many years and in some final days they have access to this incredible prayer life? Who is it that has access to this type of prayer? It's everyone. It's, it's you and it's me. It's everyone who is called upon the name of the Lord has access to this deep and abiding prayer life. You see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, right there on your outline, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Jesus invites all of us 
into this type of prayer life that would call us to a deep confidence and abiding prayer that would call us to pray these bold prayers. And, and I may just say for a moment that there may be a part of you that would just say, well, my prayer life doesn't look like this. Or I am struggling in my prayer life to pray with boldness and confidence. Let me just invite you to cultivate this life of prayer. Friends, he has called you and me to pray with boldness for the most difficult and biggest of things in the cosmic places to the smallest of details in our lives. He calls you to have that type of deep and abiding prayer life. Whomever, you and me, sinner, he calls us to pray. There's not a clarification or a caveat saying you don't have access to this, but those who are holy and righteous, they have some different access. No, by the blood of Jesus, we all have access to the throne of grace. So whoever, but let's unpack for a moment, whatever. The second blank on your outline is whatever. Verse 23, he says, whoever says to this mountain, any of us, when we, we are given access to pray these bold of prayers, but in verse 24, he says, what therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So whoever and whatever you ask. Now, I, I want to pause right here, and I want to just, I want to pull back some layers of vulnerability for just a moment. Because at times we read these passages, and we pray earnestly and boldly, it was about five years ago that mom passed away of, as you know, cancer, and there were many a days where I looked at these passages and I prayed intently. I prayed mighty hard. In fact, at her diagnosis almost seven or eight years ago, you pull these scriptures up and you begin praying, Lord, I believe that you can move mountains. I believe that you can. So Lord, I believe that you can heal mom of her cancer. Not only that, I had a church praying, a little church in Argo Baptist Church, 50 people coming every Sunday morning. They're praying intently. They're texting all the time. They're praying. She's coming up there. We are praying earnestly for her. Pray over the course of four years, Lord, would you heal her from her sickness? There are days where I felt like mountains were moved, but there are days where I felt like, Lord, I don't think you're hearing anything that we're praying. And over the course of four years, as she struggled with cancer and as her cancer progressed, you read this and say, Lord, I... I'm struggling because I'm praying with everything I've got. And at times you feel like, Lord, am I not having enough faith? Am I the one that's not letting her be healed, Lord? I know she's praying. Am I, am I not praying hard enough? Am I not the reason that she's not being healed because I am not praying hard enough? And I believe your word that says if we pray that you can move mountains, Lord, I believe that you can heal her. I believe that if the scripture is true that you can take this cancer from her in an instant. So, Lord, why? What's going on? I mean, as a kid, you read this scripture and you say, Lord, I, you pray and you say, Lord, I, I want to fly. If you, can, if you can move a mountain, Lord, I believe that I can fly. So as a, as a child, you read the scripture and say, well, Lord, I believe if I, this is true, then I can pray that I can be like Superman and I can fly. And when it doesn't happen, there can be a little bit of discouragement in your soul, right? But even, even as you grow up at times, there are things that we pray for and we say, Lord, if I believe that you are good and I believe that you want to give all good gifts to your children, if I believe that you are fully in control, if I believe the scripture, that if I have no doubt in my heart that you can heal her and that you can 
You can take this cancer from her. Why is she still getting worse? I don't know if you've been there before. I don't know if you've prayed those type prayers. I don't know if you've been there in the trenches of your prayer life and things don't seem to work out as you plan and you say, and so you are left with, Lord, then what? What happens in these moments when you pray with everything that you are and yet at the end of the day, the Lord answers in a way that you don't see fit or it is not according to your purpose and your plan. I think there is scriptural encouragement and there is scripture to help us in these moments. As Jesus was going to the cross in Mark chapter 14, that we're going to get there soon enough, Scripture says, and going a little further, he fell on, his, on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, Lord, let this hour pass from me. Going to the cross, knowing what Jesus would have to do, he is praying. He drops to his knees and said, Lord, let this moment pass from me, Lord. I don't want to endure the cross. Lord, let this moment pass from me. Please, Lord, if there is any other way, let it be so. If it were possible, please let this pass. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Recognizing the Lord's fully in control and that he is able in all ways. Father, I know all things are possible from you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. At the end of the day, Jesus, reaching out in full obedience to his heavenly Father, said, let this cup pass, but Lord, yet not what I will, but what you will. I fully believe that Jesus obviously had enough faith. I believe that he had enough trust in his heavenly Father, yet you know that well as I do the end of the story that he endured the cross and he took on the shame that he willingly went to the cross knowing that his Father saw fit to send him to the cross. If you look on your outline in verse 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then again in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Friends, ultimately, at the end of the day, we come into agreement in this tension that we are called to pray with full obedience and boldness the desires of our heart as we abide in the Lord. We are called to pray with earnestness, with obedience, with trust and faith, not doubting, but with full obedience. We are called to be on our hands and our knees praying for whatever it is that is on our heart. We are called not to say, well, Lord, it's too big. Y'all don't think you can do it. No, we pray on our knees earnestly. But we also hold that divine tension saying, Lord, yet not my will, but your will be done. And I fully recognize that there are days that that is so hard. There are days where that does not soothe our souls. It's hard and it is difficult. But yet because of its difficulty does not mean we don't still cry out to the Lord. We don't still petition and beg and cry out and say, Lord, let it be so. Let this friend who does not know you, who is far off from you, who I don't see them being saved anytime soon, let them come to full knowledge of you. Even though we get this terrible diagnosis, it doesn't mean, Lord, heal them, please, Lord. And we beg and we petition and say, Lord, we believe that you are able. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And so what does that mean for us, John 15, 7, that we would deeply abide in him, that daily we would abide in the Lord, that we would walk with him, that we would be lock in step with him, that we would abide so closely to the Lord. So we can truly ask whatever it is that is deep on our hearts. Lord, would give us whoever, meaning all of us have access to the throne of grace, whatever it is that we want to ask, according to his will and his purpose for us, that we ask in faith, without doubting in our hearts, that we earnestly approach the throne of grace with confidence. And then number three, whenever. You see verse 25, we have this great pattern of whoever, whatever, and then finally, whenever. See in verse 25, whenever you stand praying, forgive, and if anyone has anything against you so that your Father also who is in heaven will forgive your trespasses whenever. Let me just remind you that there is not a bad time to pray. Early in the morning, late at night, in the middle of the night when all things seem to be going wrong and you can't seem to pray, there is not a bad time for you to get on your knees in prayer. Not a bad time. Not an inappropriate time. For you to get down on your knees, to close your eyes, to lift up your voice to the heavens. There is always a good time for us to pray. And you see again, if you abide in me and my words in you, whatever you ask, it will be done. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So whenever you pray. But let's turn over your outline and let's look at this last blank because it is, it is right there in front of us. And we need to talk about it in these last few moments. This is whenever you ask, whenever you stand praying, forgive, and if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, who is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Let's talk for just a moment about the red flag of unforgiveness. Somehow in God's economy of talking about prayer, he's going to add this caveat of praying without forgiveness. That if we as believers refuse to forgive, how can we expect the Lord to forgive us? If we refuse the opportunity for us as believers to forgive one another, this is a giant red flag in the believer's heart. And I would ask you intently to pray about, do you have people in your life that you are harboring unforgiveness from? See, in Matthew 5, 23, is Jesus is calling, and he says, if you have leaving a gift on the altar. If you are making a sacrifice to the Lord, yet you have something against somebody, leave your gift at the altar and go and seek reconciliation. That This is how big forgiveness is. When Brittany and I got married, we lived our first year in a log cabin right off the main road in Auburn. This is my favorite place that Brittany and I have ever lived in the 12 years of our marriage. And I think in the eight or nine houses that we have lived in, this log cabin takes the cake loved this place. I don't think it could technically be quantified as a one-bedroom house because I don't think it technically had a bedroom. It had a loft that when you uh, got ready in the mornings, you had to hunch over because the ceiling was a converted attic, but the rent was like 200 bucks, so it was awesome. Awesome. Brittany would uh, tell you that this was her least favorite place that we have ever lived, but for me, it was my most favorite. It was this log cabin, it was fantastic. When we turned the power on to the house, I had to meet the power company at the power pole. I don't even know what that means, right? Gave him my address, and he said, no, where you are, I need to meet you at the pole, right? This wasn't to pray around it. It was to get the power turned on. This was how cool it was. 
But one of the cool things about this house was that um, we did not have uh, garbage service at the house. That's why rent was 200 bucks, right? We didn't have garbage service to the house. So every few days I had to take our trash to the dump, which conveniently was right down the street from the house, right? Looking for our house, just go by the dump, a few more houses down and we're right there, right? Again, 200 bucks a month. It's one of the perks. You're downstream from the, from the dump. So every day I commuted to Montgomery for work. And so every few days I would load up my trunk full of trash and take it to the dump on my way to work. About once a month, I would forget the trash in the back of the car, head on to Montgomery, pull into Montgomery and several hours in uh, working. And then the end of the day would come and I would open the door to get back in the car. And that trash had been baking in the hot sun all eight hours and was ripe for terror, terror, whatever it was. I don't know. It was just smelled terrible. Open the door and this car just smelled horrible. So you get in, open the door and have to drive the 50 minutes back to Auburn to dump the trash at the city dump. Windows down, everything inside the car seems well, but on the inside, this car smelled rank, rank. I can tell you, as you look at the ideal of unforgiveness, many of you are harboring a massive load of trash in your life, just refusing to take it out. Driving back the 50 minutes to Auburn was hard to think, hard to see, hard to do anything with that nastiness rank in the back of the car. And for many of us, friends, we are harboring unforgiveness in our souls, making it difficult for us to do anything of spiritual value. It's hard for us to pray. It's hard for us to give. It's hard for us to go because we're holding on to the weight of unforgiveness in our soul. So much so that Jesus would say, if you are praying, if you are praising, if you are giving, and you are harboring unforgiveness in your soul, leave it and go to the person immediately and seek reconciliation. In the same way, Jesus would say in verse 26, if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you. Our scripture memory many months ago was Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So friends, if we are praying, if we are worshiping, if we're giving it all we've got, yet we are harboring the seeds of unforgiveness in our soul. Can I just tell you, there's a giant red flag waving over your spirit. So I'd invite you, if you have and you are harboring unforgiveness, can I say maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe during this moment, as we come to a time of invitation, you just need to reach over and say, hey, I love you and I forgive you. Maybe it's over your kids or your parents, or maybe it's somebody not in this room. Maybe it's somebody in this room. Maybe as we leave this place, you need to forgo Sunday school, and you need to leave this place and go seek out reconciliation today. Jesus obviously gives it a mighty big weight in the midst of his discussion on prayer is a massive weight of unforgiveness. And so this morning, let's pray expectantly. Let's trust deeply in the Father's work. Let's forgive fully and let's abide joyfully.
This last blank on your outline right there. Let's pray expectantly. Let's trust deeply. Forgive fully and abide joyfully. Those are our marching orders as we leave this place and go out amongst us. Let's pray together. Lord, we we do want to pray expectantly. Or we're praying right now, expecting you to reveal parts and places in our soul that just need to be eradicated or let go. Lord, we want to trust you as the Lord in control who is Lord, fully authoritative over all things, the wind and the sea and the waves. You're in control of our deepest of problems and our smallest of needs. Lord, that we would forgive fully. Lord, right now, if there's someone who who comes clear in mind that we need to ask and seek forgiveness from, Lord, I pray that we would drop it all and that we would seek reconciliation from. And Lord, if someone comes to us seeking reconciliation, Lord, I pray that we would forgive out of the overflow and abundance of forgiveness that we have been given. Lord, that we would abide in you fully. Lord, I pray across this room that we would pray with a depth that we have not prayed in a long time. That we would cultivate our prayer garden. That we would abide on our knees as we pray earnestly and deeply for things that we earnestly want to see happen. We thank you for this day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.